1: Good morning River City. Morning. It's good morning. It's so good to see everybody here today, September 26th, mid-September. Uh <laughs> fall people. Falcons play today. We hope they're going to play. <laughs> no, they're going to do a great job. Um mm. here here, here at River City, uh, we start out every Sunday by reading something from the lectionary. Um, the lectionary is a way that we connect with the global church. There are churches all over the world who incorporate the psalms for the lectionary into their services, their worship experience, their Bible studies each re- week. Today's psalm is Psalm 116. I'm going to be reading verses 1 through 8. and then they, And it says... I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy, because he inclined his ear to me. Therefore, I will call on him as long as I live. The snares of death encompassed me, the pangs of Sheol laid on me. I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O oh Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. Verse 6, the Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return, O my soul, to your rest. For the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. As we bow our heads in prayer. Lord, thank you for deliverance. Thank you that we have all stumbled stumbled alone stumbled together thank you that you are as merciful with me as you are with my sisters and brothers in this room around the world thank you that you love unconditionally that you have done nothing for us in which you expected anything father god You are so kind, you still allowed us to choose you after you gave your only begotten son. And we thank you for that. We thank you for what his death represents for us day after day. We thank you that there is healing and restoration. God, we pray for restored relationships amongst family today, amongst friends, loved ones. There are those who ache for their mothers and fathers on today, Father God sisters and brothers who may be distant, who may not know the Lord, we pray for those relationships on today. We know that you are a loving God, and we pray that each day that we practice agape love, God, a love that there is less of us and more of you, a love that is, (laughs) it's funny for some people, Father God, because people would say, turning the other cheek doesn't work that that love is fruitless, but Father God, that is the most fulfilled love. We thank you for your only begotten son, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah and amen.
0: We're gonna move into a time of prayer. But God, before we intercede for our community, we sit in this idea of reckless love that you have for your body, do you have for the world, for every created being you are pursuing. May we embody the reckless love for our community. And God, we lift up the body of Christ, churches gathering all around the world today above ground, underground, in public and in secret. Will you be present in the unified church this morning? That this morning we would be moved all over the world towards unity and reconciliation and not towards division. Would you do something miraculous in each body gathering today? that we would leave more unified and more loving and more filled with the gospel story than ever. God, we pray for our nation. And again, God, we pray for unity and we pray for healing. As the people of God, we say we will not be polarized in our stances, but we will stand on one thing, and that is Christ and Christ crucified. Let us champion the banner of the love of God above any banner. But God, we ask you to intervene in the brokenness of our country and our state We ask you to empower us to embody the kingdom. We ask you to move in us in a way that we would move faithfully and true in our community. Teach us God, we don't have a lot of good examples and how to be citizens, respectful citizens of our country yet above that citizens of the kingdom. But we follow Christ teach us to live out a faithful example. Now, RCC, I'm going to ask you to join me in intercession. We're going to lift up the world today, and we're doing this because we want our hearts. We believe God is forming our hearts into people who live outwardly, and so I would like for you to participate right now and intercede with us through the welfare of the world. What is happening in the world that we need to intercede? If you'll just call it out. God, let us not live with blinders on, but let us carry the burdens of our brothers and sisters around the world and intercede for the brokenness When you made us co-heirs, you asked us to participate in the kingdom moving forward. And that means we have to care about the injustices and evils in our world. And though we are so blessed that we don't have to stare some of that evil in the face, we must choose to stare the evil in the face. And so we lift up the brokenness, the wars that are happening, murder, injustice, the the poorest of the poor, often being um, victimized by the richest of the rich. Let us be aware and let us intercede for them. Let us do something. God, we pray for the concerns of the local community for Smyrna and for Cobb County. If you guys will, anything we need for Smyrna and Cobb County, if you'll say it out nice and loud. We need homes, we need homes for the middle class. Uh, We need jobs, we need the spirit of God to move. We need to be brave. We need to, to leverage our influence for others. And then lastly, for this body, this is where I'm gonna ask you to be brave. There are some of you who are suffering, there are some of you who are hurting, If you need prayer this morning, speak out your need. We are a community, right? We say we are living in love, which means we need to practice bearing each other's burdens. For that, we need to know each other's burdens. Speak them out this morning. God, let us tune our ears and our hearts to the brothers and sisters that sit right next to us in these seats. Let us not come in and leave with our masks and our faces. Let us truly bear each other's burdens. Let us be vulnerable to share our burdens. God, form this people into the community that you desire us to be, so we can live well, loving and unified, that the world might see something just so miraculous and amazing and beautiful and want to know more. Bless our body this morning, those who are here and those who are not with us. In Jesus' name, amen.
2: So we're, we're doing this. I actually called Andy Stanley today and asked if it was all right if we did this. And he was like, you guys have the full go-ahead. So you don't have to worry. You don't need to call him. It's fine. Um,
0: Edgy table.
2: Yeah, I don't actually like preaching from a table. I, I don't enjoy it, but we're doing it together. So it's going to be better. It might get be up better. if it
0: gets fiery, though. Yeah, if we it, have we'll have to, to walk.
2: If you guys, we start spraying people. Let's pray real quick, if that's okay. Father, we present the part of this worship journey the part that we worship through the scriptures, the part that we talk about your word, which we know that is a living, breathing thing, and we know that it is you. We know that it's the John the Baptist that points to you though, and we don't wanna worship the word outside of knowing that it's Jesus. So we elevate Jesus as the reason the word is beautiful. So when we read these passages, we don't use them as, as reasons to accuse people or reasons to burden people down like the Pharisees did. We know that they are to bring life And to draw us to a a life that's lived more abundantly through you, Jesus. So any other way we use it, we ask for forgiveness. We ask that it would illuminate. We ask that it would draw us into your presence, God. We ask that it would woo us to the table with you where you scream things like forgiveness in us and where you speak things like identity over us and where you give us grace to learn and fail and to get back up again. As we read the words of 1 Peter today... Help those words to be illuminated in such a way that people see Jesus and his story and desire him, like the woman at the well who was thirsty, meaning Jesus, going away satisfied. I pray that that's what happens today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So really quickly, we're in the book of 1 Peter, and the reason we did that is because he was mentioned a lot in the book of Mark, which we preached through for about a year and a half. And He was elevated at the end of the book really in every story we started talking about Peter and we wanted to build a bridge into now what happens with somebody who struggled in their faith really through all of it. He was prideful. He was always trying to correct Jesus, but now he's called the rock, which we skipped over acts. We're probably going to get into that at some point, but he's the person who's responsible for helping build the church. And now we're in first Peter where he's actually writing letters to churches who are under severe persecution. And losing their lives. I said this last week. I'll say it every week because I just think it paints a good picture. Christians, some at some points, were taken and clothed in the skins of wild beasts and set loose to be eaten by other animals as game. This was the society that they lived, right? They could lose their lives just for, for, for professing Christ. Right? Baptism for them wasn't just let's cheer and give you a T-shirt and maybe f- put it on Facebook. It was saying to a society, I might lose my life now, but it's, it's worth it to me. So now I'm saying yes to Jesus. Does that make sense? So he is writing this book to people who are in this setting. And it's, it's very hairy for them. And he's doing things like in last week we talked about how he spoke to slaves and how he spoke to masters and how that's confusing for us, right? The arcs of scripture. Why wouldn't he just come in and abolish it, right? He's speaking into the context that the word was given, that the Lord was given. And he has to work within those frameworks. And so slavery wouldn't be abolished for a long time. And in some cases, it's still permeated, even if it's just in our thoughts and the way that we think, right? But it it wasn't the main message. the, the, The main message was Jesus needs to be presented to our world. And in whatever way that needs to happen, it needs to happen. And so last week, we talked about submission, and we talked about what it looked like. And this week, we're going to jump into, I think, a passage that has some of the strongest tendencies to draw lines and harm out of any passage in the Bible. I think as soon as you hear us read it, and some of you already did, and you were like, why are we reading that before worship? This is a weird worship journey. Husbands, you know, do this, and wives submit, and you instantly, if you're not churched, your instant thoughts are, there's something going on with that. Well, that's, and so I think personally, when you look at this, some of the largest abuses I've seen in churches are built around this passage from people who don't understand understand scripture or the context of scripture. They don't desire to dive in, they desire to use it as something that can benefit them. And so you can see this being used by men a lot of times to say to a woman, your role is to submit. They don't have to exude any type of actual leadership. They just land on this and say, your role is to submit, but I'm not gonna submit, but you're gonna submit. And so I want you to know right off the bat, right? We are aware that as we talk through this in this room, Many of you have lived under abusive, patriarchal situations that have been harmful and not helpful and have not drawn you towards Christ and have actually pushed you away. And so I want you to be aware that we're aware of that, and we want to be available even after for those people. The second thing I would say is this passage, even though it talks about the marriage relationship, it doesn't really talk about marriage issues. And so for some of you, if you're like any of us, Marriage is not the easiest thing in the world because it's the closest person to you. We're not gonna dive into marital relationships, but we understand as well that people in this room right now are struggling in their marriages. Some of you are fighting tooth and nail for them to survive. Some of you don't know what to do. Some of you have lost all hope. Some of you haven't even began to be honest about some of the struggles with your own marriage. Some of you are like awesome, like Alex and Nancy, like. (laughs) He hates me now for saying that. Just does that. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Here's the reality though. This passage, we're not gonna dive into that portion of this, right? We're not gonna dive into that. That's why we're gonna promote the heck out of a marriage event we're doing in November, right? Because we know that's important. But it's not just important for the married people, it's important for the single people. This passage talks about marriage, But the way that we are to live and breathe amongst a group of people, our families, our moms and dads, the people we work with, is what's really being pushed here and promoted here. It's the way you're a Christian to the world that you immediately touch. It's the way that you live. And the wrong way or the pitfall of this passage is to walk away saying, women's roles are to submit to men. That would be a fail on your part. That would be a gross misuse of scripture and the understanding of Jesus, and it would not be okay with him. Okay, and I know that's true because as I've talked about the woman at the well, she's, the, she's in charge of the most souls won in the Gospels. And she is the vocal piece in a society where she's not supposed to talk. She's, she's responsible for more men coming to the Gospel than any man in the Gospels. So I know it to be true. I know it to be true that Jesus' message had a particular liberating effect on women and that in these passages, the reason he's doing it is because women started to outnumber men in churches because the word of God and the gospel was liberating them in a society that was abusing them. And so men are like, like, what is going on? And all these women are coming to life. All these women are starting to lead. All these women are falling in love with Jesus and seeing I'm not meant to be abused. I'm not meant to be pushed down. I'm not second, right? I'm a co-ayer. Have I said co-air? Co-air. Okay, all right. I I kind of jumped in a little bit strong. I went strong. (laughs) Go in strong, back off a little bit. Ebbs and flows. All right, so you want to jump in real quick? Well, let's
0: just, let's just I can, we can go ahead and read the passage.
2: Okay. Um, yeah, let's do that. I skipped over that passage, She said, she said let's, let's, just, let's just go ahead and read the passage. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. Well,
0: this way we can refer to it, right? Yeah. All right, so I'll read it. Um, okay, likewise. And first of all, when I knew this was coming, and if you guys know me... <laughs> I was terrified I'm a little I was a little bit terrified of this passage um, because of the way I had heard it preached um, and of being a woman who felt called to lead growing up in the church that was really challenging and so I was really really afraid um, that I think there's really good news for us as women today so Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. All right, let's pray. Lord knows we need it. (laughs) So Holy Spirit, what do you have for us this morning? God, what is shaping this community? What are you wanting us to hear? As men and women living and moving in this culture, 2018, how can we be Christ-like and what does Peter have to encourage us? Will you please make it clear this morning? And would we be able to see past the lenses of our um, our own baggage what we bring to this passage. Will you speak truth? In Jesus' name, amen. So I think it's important to remember that the goal of this passage is Peter sharing what it looks like to be a Christian. Because remember, this is brand new, right? So there's no, like, we have thousands of years of historical tradition and examples. Like, no, this this just happened. So Men, women, everyone's learning how to navigate life as a Christian. And so Peter's tackling sort of these common contexts, which we saw one was last week. This was a Greco-Roman culture is very hierarchical. I never know if I'm going to hierarchical, 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 um, so That's how I'll remember it from now on, hierarchical. Um, so he's, that's, that's the culture they lived in. So he's saying in this hierarchical culture context, how do you live and move and act like Christ? And so we have example last week and example this week is a marriage relationship. We come to this passage and we were discussing it this week. I love Antramika used this word like it's charged, right? Cause we come to it. In fact, we were talking about it this week and it's like, oh, I don't even want to hear that message. Right? Like, and. It was a woman who said that, of course, right? Because we come to this and we're like, I'm just going to hear that. I have to submit again. Like, uh. ugh. And so we have to recognize what's going on when we step up to this text, right? What is the text doing to me? What does the Spirit want to do to me? And sort of discern between those. So um, we're going to try to clarify why as women we feel this. And this is the reason I'm up here is I feel like we need to look at this through a female lens. I feel like that's important, right? We've often just heard, I've only heard this ever through a male lens. I grew up in church. I only ever heard this passage preached from a man. And it's important that we see it through the female lens. That's
2: good. So what we're gonna do first is pray. And then I'm gonna jump in. Prayed. You just prayed.
0: Did not I just pray?
2: Did she pray? We're gonna have a fight doing this on stage. We
0: don't need to
2: fight. To be, Just say I already prayed. I'm not fighting. <laughs> Just kidding. Our relationship is perfect. That's what's beautiful. It's all right, bring it. I'm used to it. All right, so I'm gonna jump right in. The, one of the things that jumped out to me about this passage is there's six sentences written towards women and one sentence towards men. And when you read that, you're like, okay. But and I think the reason is historically, I've actually heard it preached. Again, I watch Christian television sometimes, not because I think it's the greatest, and there probably is some good ones, but I I get locked in on things that I cannot believe we televise, number one, and I cannot believe theologically it passed through a group of people editing for content. And one was this man preaching in a church of about 100 people, and he was preaching on this passage, and he started demanding his wife to do things for him. So he would demand her to come up and serve, demand her to hold the scripture, and she was she looked like the most unhappy person in the world. But she, and she was being televised while this happened. So I was like, "This is I can't turn away at this point. But, but these things have passed through and through and through. So it's good to know for you, as Jesus writes these passages through, his, through Peter or whoever, he's always looking for those people in societies that are being beaten down. And so last week it was slavery. And so he writes a passage in protection for them. This week... He's writing a passage again because churches are being filled with women because Jesus' message is liberating them. And that means societally, they are now in danger. And not just a little bit of danger, in danger of losing their lives. If they were to do this wrong or that wrong, they could be killed by their husband, right? They are actually the property of their husband, almost like a goat or a cow. And so that's what the male would have seen in this society. So it's, it's one thing if a male were to, to be saved in this society, naturally the woman would go with that male to a church and probably receive Jesus, and then it would be they would walk into it as co-heirs. It's tricky, though, when in a male-dominated society where you could lose your life, the female gets saved, right? Now she's in danger. You don't change religions, especially in this point. And so six sentences are written not to say, hey, women, you're really failing and stop it. You're all morons. It's not being written for that. It's written because in a society that undervalues and manipulates and uses women, Jesus is trying to protect them. Does that make sense? So six sentences are written because he was fighting for them. This is what's about to happen to you. Because you've received me and my message is peace. I'm the prince of peace. You're in danger. And some of you are in danger in your own households. You're going to show up, and you're going to say something or do something. You're going to talk about Jesus, and your husband is going to want to physically harm you. And he's going to be able to do that by law. So I am going to protect you. Do you see the difference in that? Then, hey, women, you're stupid. Submit. And I'll even say this. For those of us that have kind of landed on this passage in such a way as to be abusive, This is the way I read this. Whenever there's a demand on the other person and myself, whoever that is, and I start to think, I need to really make sure, if you can only do one thing in this passage, do what the passage says for you. If you want to be demanding, demand what the passage is saying over you. Even if it's one sentence worth, and you want to be like, well, there's six sentences for you, Sarah, so you might want to read that and get it done. (laughs) On a tough passage, lock into the one that is speaking to you. The one talking about loving your wife as Christ would love the church. The one talking about you learning how to submit. If you can do that, right? The trick is in Christianity, especially in America, we, f- we seem to know what's best for others and demand those things without really demanding them or- of ourselves. And if you demand it of yourself, the rest will fall in place. And so here, this is actually protection because you, the female belonged to the husband. If the female was like, I got Christ now, I'm out you guys, like, done. Not even allowed to. There's no option for the woman to leave a marriage. Only the man could. And the man could just be like, you're go. Just go. Um, and the idea of this this weaker thing, like, this is one that if I were a woman, I'm not, but if I was, just that. The weaker, like you're you're weaker, right? Is that so like so so this is this is a charged Painful thing in church that, in this society, the way the women have to live their lives has weaker impact because the male has been given everything, so they are not able to accomp- They're not able to talk in large groups, right? They are smaller in stature, right? That's the idea being said here. I'm sure you have that. I have that feel. You want to jump in right here. This well,
0: like, I can I can say like if we had to wrestle, I'm weaker. You would win, right? Or actually, now I'd probably win because you had injury. <laughs> um, so I think I think the point is this: like I can concede that, right? Like, but I think what we do is we we turn these into stereotypes and general generalizations, and our society has essentially said, "Well, this is what's happened." Is here really what's happening? Is God is trying to? to move in a new order, right? By saying we are co-heirs. And as humans, we're like stuck on the hierarchy and we do this everywhere. And so we're like literally trying to transplant the culture and who's trying to do that? Those are in power, right? People in power are trying to hold the power. So, and then, so we come to this passage and, you know it's obvious why we're resisting it. Cause the, the people in power tried to keep themselves in power even if that, was not knowingly right, but I think it's important as we look at these to always put it alongside the message of Christ, right? Like, what what did Jesus already show us about women? And we actually had this beautiful moment in twelve this week where we were um, we were talking about the story of the woman with the issue of blood, and we were all sort of processing from our own places, like why why she didn't like she just touched the hem of her garment of his garment, right? And we were thinking like, okay, here's a woman who's sick. She's poor. She's a woman. She's probably not married. Like she's the lowest of the low. And so she's trying, she wants healing, but she wants to hide. There's no reason why she'd want to be in the spotlight. Everything has told her, you have no value. You have no voice. You are not worth it. And what does Jesus do? This is so amazing to me. He stops. He stops. And he calls her out. And now everyone's eyes are on this woman. And not only that, but she gets in the gospel story where, why would you include that, right? You're in a patriarchal society. Why are you telling this story? And I take that right along next to this and I say, Jesus is calling women out and saying, come out of hiding. You have a place, you are co heirs, you have a voice, you have a purpose. Right, and so, but instead, this passage has been manipulated and abused, and it's so unfortunate because there have been some really gifted and wonderful female leaders who have never been able to have a voice in church.
2: And, and I just want to note too, as, as you think through this passage, what's happening with women—the amount of bravery that had to come. Like even even now, when a woman stands up and really, but in this society especially. When you were to stand and really make the stand, the amount of bravery that had to go into that. Like the amount of, I'm giving, it, this this idea of you, you're dying for the sake of Christ. The women in these stories are the ones who, the most, they had the most to lose. They stood up. They fought. They did what needed to be done. They followed Jesus unpopularly. And I just feel like that's important to note. That's not something I think we we out of this passage typically but you want to go into
0: yeah and i think that practically peter is talking to a specific situation so women who have unbelieving husbands right like it's a very specific situation in a very specific context and so there's this author i love sarah bessie and she says this paul and peter used the codes of the day not because they were perspective or ideal but because they were familiar and they were showing the church how to move within the world while not being of the world, right? And so then we see in verse seven of 1 Peter three, where um, Peter says, now husbands know that you are co-heirs, right? And I love, I use that term a lot, I really like that. And this was sort of the aha moment for me this week. I was like, oh, this is how God always intended it to be. Like God always intended for us to, to be side by side. That's what it looked like. Then you have the fall, right? And then there's this like weird hierarchy and the people who are powerful remain powerful and the people who are weak remain weak. And um, Sarabas, goes on to say this, but there is a redemptive movement happening here in scripture. Here is what is, here is what I want for you, move closer to my purposes. And so really what's happening in this passage Is through Peter, God is communicating this is what it's supposed to look like. There's no Jew or Gentile, free or slave, man or woman. You are all one in Christ. This is what it's supposed to look like. This is the kingdom. Get on board, right? But we're broken people, so we don't often get on board. But there's this beautiful invitation for women to be a part and to have a voice and to lead. Now, the idea of submission, we're all to submit, right? That's like a common Christian virtue. Christ did it, we follow. But this is what we as women hear. I submit, that means I can't ever lead. And that's not true. Submission is not exclusive, right? I, we can still lead. We can still have a voice, And that's so important for women to know. Um, The last is this idea of equal spiritual rights. Even though, and I can tell you, just quite honestly, this past summer has been really challenging for me. Um, Being a woman in ministry comes with a lot of, what's the word, challenges? (laughs) Um, There are times I can really feel like I'm overlooked or I have no voice or I'm not important. And then I try to overcompensate by being really important and doing something really spectacular. And then that's, that's not right. And then I feel guilty because I'm self-promoting. You know, it's this like ugly cycle I get in and it's really, really hard. Um, but to hear like God say, like you have a place, like you were meant to be a part of this. You are meant to do this. is really beautiful. And then to recognize there's this couple in the, the New Testament, Priscilla and Aquila, who I just love. that They did ministry together. Reminds me of us. Um, but it was so unusual. But listen to this. So I looked up all the places they were mentioned, right? And Priscilla is mostly mentioned first. Priscilla and Aquila. But if you were to look in most Bible concordances, guess whose name is listed first? Aquila, which I just think is fascinating and just a little little bit of a microcosm of what's going on here. So,
2: yeah. So, just to kind of switch gears, the the part of this too that I think is trigger for a lot of people is this idea and we probably all heard it if we've been in church about Now, if you're going to be a Christian, you can't wear that, you know, three inches above. What's the three inches above below? What is that? The knee? Fingertips. Fingertips? You've really long arms. (laughs) So, and this is brought to life by like the adorning of your heart or make sure you don't do this. And I think we have a really big pitfall here, especially as men, in how we treat this passage, at least how I've heard it towards women, and the idea of what they can and can't wear, should and shouldn't wear, or be to this or that, or you're just being a stumbling block for these men, like it's all on you, and we didn't do anything, and man, you are bad women, right? But what you need to understand here is this is very important. In a society where all rights are taken away from someone, so their whole existence can't be poured into anything other than, and this is what one of the commentaries says, And also when they see that they have nothing else than to be bedfellows of men, they begin to beautify themselves to put all their hopes in that. So in a society where you say, we are giving you nothing, you are property, they put all of their energy into the way that they look, right? Is it their fault? (laughs) You're like, is it? (laughs) See, I've heard this preached so much to women, like stop being bad women. Are you honoring women in your life in a place that says you have leadership? I believe you. I trust you. Do you have people speaking into your life? Do you have women around you that are more than just something to look at? We have all done this. And in this society, that was the only thing they had, was to put all of their energy into that. So this isn't license for us to be like, you need to start wearing full jean outfits. Oh, like, Jesus. you need to not, like. Never
0: a good yeah
2: especially right now in this heat i just wouldn't recommend it so so there this is what's is really sad is because things were taken away from them they also for men became the only value they had was their appearance their beauty as to maybe becoming a wife or and so it just perpetuated the problem and our our culture is actually extremely similar. And I'm not gonna to talk too much about this because I will get myself in trouble in like 30 seconds. <laughs> but, right, like we have these movements that wanna liberate women, some healthy, some not. And then we have the most dominant thing in our society, and you're gonna talk a little bit about this, is this idea of sexualizing women. And, and you don't have to drive 100 feet to see it on a billboard or a magazine. We do this while saying we want you, like our society's saying we want you here, but also we need you to be this. And how confusing is that, right? How confusing is You want to speak into that for a minute? Yeah, I
0: just think that as I um, sort of thought through this, like it's just mixed messages. And I think if the church ever needs to have a voice, it's now. But the church hasn't had a voice for women. So the culture is trying to have a voice. And it's just super confusing. So as an example, um, my daughter, Lathea, is super tuned into um, the patriarchal systems. <laughs> so – and she got a project at school, and she was given four names of people to research, and she, it was four men. So she, makes me so proud, went up to her teacher and said, why are, there's no, why are there no women on this list? And the teacher said, well, that's because back then, women weren't really acknowledged, like the things that they did, and so, you know, her teacher had to give her this explanation and she came home and told me and she was like really struggling with that and then i thought that's the same child who could turn on any number of tv shows or music videos and see just women exploited and i i get why if you have been told you have you are nothing else why you would you would resort to that if you were told you're only your beauty, and this is what is still. I mean, this still happens. But I was like, I'm super glad that women are starting to feel more confident, more of a voice. But like that's confusing. Like oh, I should be able to invent things, but I should also look like this and carry myself like this, and that is not truth. And so there is a great responsibility on the church to get our voice in the game on this and for for women to say like there is something we bring we reflect the image of God it's an incomplete picture if women go away that's the truth
2: yeah, we don't, we're not interested in that at, at all <laughs> <laughs>
0: there is no reason why there should be oh gosh I mean a soapbox
2: maybe you shouldn't <laughs> don't listen to him do not listen to him
0: does it right scary there is no reason why churches should have all male white staff like there's just no reason for that
2: well that's that's good okay
0: (laughs) there is no like that is not okay that is not just There is a responsibility. And this is, I didn't read the rest of Sarah Bessie's quote. I don't think I did. Maybe I did. You're in here again. Um, Here is what is, here is what I want for you. Move closer to my purposes. And so we find God out ahead of us. Always moving us further into His purposes, the writers of Scripture often tried a way, tried to find a way to subvert the current culture and to move us further ahead on God's arc of justice, even within unjust systems. Like there's a responsibility in moving the kingdom forward to speak to some of these king, okay. some of these issues, and we've got to do it. Like the church has to do it.
2: Can I jump in right there? And I, I think a really practical way, because we were youth pastors for ten years, and parents would always come up to us and be like, can you believe she's wearing that? Or, and I'd be like, yes, I can absolutely believe that she's wearing that. Um, and I think here's, here's the trick. Like we see the outward behavior that's pointing to insecurity or lack of place, and we desire to fix those outward behaviors, not anything to do with them, instead of like the long haul of speaking identity and love into someone. Because for, the, for there to be a true change in any of this You cannot label the things that are rough around the edges. You have to speak deeply into those heart issues. And so when we had kids come who were, it was all of it, I would celebrate that and I would love those people like I want to be loved. And I would hope that Christ is who he says he is and can do the work that he can do. Because our job is to speak the identity and even before it happens, right? Speak resurrection before it happens and then watch him do the work. But it may take 20 years, right? Because there are abuses in our own lives that take that long to heal and the worst thing you could do to somebody is clean up around the edges without looking at the heart because you just told them that their appearance is more important and that's the exact thing they're struggling with. Does that make sense? That was another... All right, so we're going to end it. We're going we're gonna to land the plane. We're, just in, we're getting in more trouble as we keep going. Yeah, yeah. Reciprocal ethic. So this is the biggest thing is Christianity introduced a few things that the society had never seen, ever, and one of them was the reciprocal ethic, which was up until this point, all obligation in a marriage or in society was on a woman, and all of the privilege was on the man. And let me just explain that. The duty was the woman's duty, everything. And the male received everything. So that was the relationship. When Christ comes, it's the first time we hear of things like chivalry. It's introduced here, chivalry. And it's this idea that we both serve one another. This Christianity introduces this, that we are equal, that we serve one another, that we're in this together. And it began to have a massive impact, the same as when you saw a slave being served by a master, which is what would happen. You'd go to a church, and in this culture, you'd see a master in the congregation of a slave who was leading it, and you'd go to a dinner. And a master was washing the feet of a slave, which just that act changed the whole Roman culture. And the same thing was happening here. They would be in groups with men and women, and they would notice, like, wait a second. Is, he, is she allowed to do that? Like, is, is she, And they'd have conversations. And eventually, I'm sure it got back to because I'm sure there was somebody like, because we never have people in church who have strong opinions. But I bet they had them. At this time, they probably had that. And they would probably show up and be like, listen, I noticed the way that you allowed your wife to speak in front of people, which is like easy. I noticed that. Is there something wrong with your marriage? And he'd have to be like, actually, it's now the rightest it's ever been. Actually, now we have this new idea that we have to share with you, and it's that we're equal. And they were in danger at that point. So yay for us. We're not in danger by just saying Sarah and I are equals in the eyes of God. All spiritual gifts are available to both of us. We can both lead. We believe that. I believe that we are, I believe in heaven. I just believe we're all together. And when we talk about heaven coming to earth, which is all we ever talk about, like bring heaven to earth, that's what it looks like. It looks like extreme equality. It looks like unity. It looks like verses 9 through 12, which we're going to read in a second. You want to share anything else about that?
0: Um, Well, I just, that phrase, a holy woman, just... (laughs) It's not my favorite phrase because... Well, the
2: way to handle it is just tell somebody, be a woman of Proverb 31. Oh. That's, I think that's, just do that.
0: Things are so, but like, like when you deconstruct these things and you see the heart of it, then you're like, oh, yeah. So, you know where it says like, oh, we commend Sarah who called her husband master. And that's really problematic because that's never going to happen. (laughs) But, and neither should it. Like, that's not the point. And,
2: and we've never been in danger of that happening. Never just been. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, it's never been a struggle of ours.
0: <laughs> but this is the thing. This is where I feel like Peter's getting at. And if you look at the story of Abraham and Sarah, like, the story's really jacked up. Like, that is a crazy, Like like, that's just a crazy story. So, when she is in the position she's in and she can still hope in God, like that is honorable, right? So when, as we are living and moving in these unjust systems and we still find a way to like hope in God, maybe not even always do the right things, like because Sarah didn't, which is great, right? That we have her example. She wasn't perfect, but that she hoped in God and specifically believed something Better is coming. Because it, it, it can feel pretty hopeless. I'm sure any person who is on the lower side of the ladder in the hierarchy of America has to put their hope in God because sometimes it just feels really hopeless. And I'm sure you know people of color feel that. Women feel that. And so like thank God that we have a God that says, this is not the system that's going to be around forever. Like I have, I have a plan for a kingdom and it looks like everyone has an equal seat at the table and everyone brings something valuable to the table. So good.
2: And we'll just kind of cl- close with this stuff. But in, in 9 through 13, it, this is what we, when we read a passage of scripture, and I, I, I encourage you to all do this because uh, I can do this soapboxes really well. Like that's, I, I fall for the bait of the soapboxes. But under all of this, there's this message. And the message is this. You've been gifted with a Savior whose name is Jesus. And now that you've been gifted with this Savior whose name is Jesus, I'm compiling a body around you that you're a part of. And it's your role in whatever society, family, to present this Jesus to those people. And if you do it correctly, they will fall in love with Jesus. And here are some tools to make sure they do. So how do you do that? And this is the underlying, whether it's marriage, whether you're a man with a job and there's a man over you who's dominating you, or a female over you and your job dominating you. If you're being treated unjust, if you're being robbed, if you're being abused verbally, this is the, this is the message. Unity. Fight for it. Do a quick search scripturally in the New Testament of how many times it talks about unity. Also know that it's the prayer that Jesus prayed the longest about Unity. Unity is number one, sympathy. Are you sympathetic? If you insert sympathy into your life, to the people around you, you are starting to act like Christ. The agape love of Christ, right? This is the love that you give to someone who does not deserve it, right? It's not just about submit humanity. It's about you are doing these things because Jesus is being given through them. These are the avenues that when you do this, just imagine you standing on whatever and you, and you do this. Imagine a bridge being built to you to somebody else and a bridge over here and a bridge over here and a bridge over here. And these are all bridges that Jesus can then transfer himself to other people so people can see I've come to serve the world, right? I've come to love the world. I've not come to destroy the world. I've come to bring restoration, bring peace, right? Bring unity. These are the things. Next one is compassion. And I just have to read you this really quickly. I I know we're running out of time, but I have to read you this. Just as a quick side note. Yeah. If you
0: are in abusive situations, the, the call of the gospel is to not stay. Like, I, I feel like that should be clear, but it's often not. So the idea that these virtues, that doesn't mean stay in abusive situations. Like, I just wanted to make sure, because right. I know that's not what you were trying to say.
2: Right. It's different in a democracy than it was in the society they had. Right. right. You have a choice that they didn't have. Right. right. So I wanna read you this about compassion. Um, And this is one of the five things mentioned here. And Forgiveness is the next one. Like if you were to, these are bridges you build, but the fourth one Peter says is compassion. There's a sense in which pity is in danger of becoming a lost virtue. The conditions of our own age tend to be blunt to the edge of the mind of sensitivity and pity. As C.E.B. Cranfield puts it, we got used to hearing on the radio of a thousand bomber raid as we ate our breakfast. We got used to the idea of millions of people becoming refugees. We can read of the thousands of casualties on the roads with no reaction within our hearts, forgetting that each means a broken body or a broken heart for someone. It is easy to lose the sense of pity and still easier to be satisfied with the sentimentalism, which feels a moment's comfortably, comfortable sorrow, but does nothing. Pity is of the very essence of God and compassion is of the very essence of Jesus Christ. A pity so great that God sent his only son to die for men. A compassion so intense that it took Jesus to the cross. There can be no Christianity without compassion. And so as we talk about these issues, it's even, I don't know when he, do you know when he wrote this? I'm sure, this had to be like, this is the 50s, right? How much more? desensitized are we our kids are literally shooting people all day long on video games like learning how to shoot people the images that are on tv right now this even the songs like it's such a part of our culture that when we do hear about true injustice is happening it's like eh, let's pray you want to pray for them let's pray for them but we have to be people who see the way that women feel who see the way that people are being abused and respond to it and act on it right right does that make sense and so today we wanted to close with this. If in any way you are struggling through something, you feel broken, you feel like you have been abused, you're struggling through that, you are scared to death that I'm even saying it, we would love to partner with you in prayer. And and prayer teams, if you can go ahead and come up. Um, we would love to pray for you. Pray for full restoration. We would love to speak identity into you. And that's where the word is so beautiful to us is it helps to remind us that, We are His, and we belong to Jesus, and that we are co-heirs, and that we are new creations, and that you are beautiful, but your beauty is not just about your outward adorning, right? It's about your heart. Um, And and side note, really quickly, right here. I don't know what I was going to say right there. Men, I was going to say this. We have to be better for the women in our life to not just celebrate how pretty they are. This just reiterates a lot of the problem. Can you look at the, the women God has put in your life and celebrate the things about them that make them leaders, that make them strong, the virtues that are like totally them. Like in Sarah, she's gifted to teach. She's gifted to, she's awesome. Like she's the smartest person I know, right? She happens to be attractive and that's, I'm thankful for that part of it. I mean, I'm not gonna lie, let's not be stupid. But, but a way that we respond to this just on a small scale is celebrating the things and the women in our lives. That makes sense? That aren't just, you're so pretty, like I've got a beautiful wife, arm candy, right? Maybe some of the men are like arm candy, right? I feel like arm candy sometimes, you know what I'm saying?
0: Yeah, so I just want, I want to just invite the women in our community to just come out of hiding. Um, And so as we pray this morning, some of you have some really deep wounds. Um, It could be wound by a partner um, or the church Maybe you do struggle with, I'm only what I look like, or um, maybe you're in an abusive relationship and you need to come out of hiding. Um, We wanna create a safe place this morning for God to do some deep healing work in our hearts and to really begin to move us to be prophetic in our city for for who God has women to be. Um, And maybe some men need to repent. Maybe some women need to repent.
2: Um, and i would say men too you need just as much identity as the women need and we're products of our environments as well and even though some of us have put on a strong face and been a dominant male and our we're just weeping inside and not truly leaders and not truly loving and just scared and and there's a way that jesus needs to speak into you and and i would just close with this as well these two events that are coming up if if you feel like you need and you do i don't i'm not even asking you need help in your marriage right And we're going to do that on November 7th. And then this conference that's happening at Riverstone about sexuality, this is something we didn't even talk to about today. But every person in here is impacted about sexuality. Some of the people in this room are struggling deeply in things right now that you would be so horrified if people knew. And there's healing on the other side of that, right? There's healing and cleansing that can come if you present those things to Jesus. And there's so much shame involved in it. It's such a shaming society. But I would love to talk to you more about that. And then lastly, if you need more than just a prayer at the altar, which is great, You need counseling, which is a beautiful thing. And in early centuries, they just had counseling all the time, right? We live our lives so segmented that, and counseling's a bad thing to some people, but many of you need counseling and it's a beautiful thing. Come talk to us, we have a list of people. We have Bill who's here, we have so many others that we can point you towards. Um, And I'm gonna pray and then you guys can come. So if you guys wanna stand actually. As you stand, I just want to pray. The overarching theme in this passage is that Jesus saves us, cleanses us, brings us new life, puts us in a beautiful community. And in our cities, we are called to take Jesus to the world and we are going to face problems and powers and hierarchies. We're going to face abuses through our cities. Jesus has called us to be the people that love Jesus and love the city. So today, as you step into this, ask Jesus how to do it personally for you. How do I do this? Do I need to celebrate the women around me? Do I need to repent? Do I need to step into my own identity as a man? I pray for intimacy, God, like we've never seen it in our churches. Intimacy with you and intimacy between couples, intimacy with singles and you and and friendships, intimacy between men who can have conversations about real things, intimacy with mentors and people who are being mentored. Restore intimacy in the church to its rightful place. Restore the broken people in this room. Restore the churches in this city. We trust you, God, and without you, this is all just nonsense. We need you, Jesus, and everyone needs you because you are the life and love of this world. In your name we pray, amen.
0: Thank you again for joining us today. And please visit our website at rivercitysmyrna.com.